You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. No, I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers and behind the scenes. And we're going on to number two in our Lethal Weapon franchise review. It's pretty obvious, but Matt, what do we watch? Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> no fancy titles here. No uh, part two. No chapter two. Just Lethal Weapon 2 from 1989. Who is it? Police, open up. How do I know you're the police? After I shoot you through the door, you can examine the bullet. Open up. Mel Gibson. Danny Glover. Come on, let's go, Rod. Oh, no, we shouldn't go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, Rod. Don't be a killjoy. Come on, we're back. We're bad. You're black. I'm mad. Come on, man. Hey, 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 listen. If we're going, shouldn't I have a gun? No. No. Now, get ready for something lethal. I'm surprised you haven't heard about me. You know, I got a bad reputation. I mean, sometimes I just go nuts like now. <laughs> because the magic Gun! is back. Watch out the window, no! Are you all right, man? Yeah, I'm okay. Where were you, man? You're my partner or what? Why didn't you follow me down? Yeah, why didn't you follow him down? Shut up, I'm seven floors up! Lethal Weapon 2. You go first, I'm really too old for this. You go first, I'll cover you. Eeny, meeny, whiny. Good police work, officer. Come on. No. Back to my place. Hey, I'll even cook. You're lucky. I have to live with that. You're not gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. No, there's not enough room. You were right, you know. Yeah, there, there wasn't enough room. Lethal Weapon 2. This time, they're not taking any crap. Just get off me, man. I don't want anybody to see us like that. <laughs> I feel like this is like a Donner thing. It's like, nah, just make it two. Leave the weapon, two. <laughs> it's the same thing when he started with uh, Superman. It's Superman 2, right? Mm-hmm. Just go. We're done. We don't need any fancy subtitles. Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, the sequels are relatively still new, too, at this point. You know, they've only been around for about 15 years or so in terms of, the, you know, the hugeness of sequels. Yeah, the 80s were the decade that changed it. It became... Sequels became okay. Let's see how many we can get. Let's just go full access. Yeah, so simple titles. Lethal Weapon 2. This is 1989. My year, my birth year. <laughs> uh, so very excited to see that on screen for this one. Also, I love how they beat the running time of the first movie by four minutes. But this movie feels longer. That's not so much of as, as a jab at it or anything. I, I feel this movie runs fine and everything. I just feel like there's a lot more to put into it uh, or maybe a lot more characters. A lot going on in this movie. There's yeah. a lot. And it's the sequel effect. You know, Mm -hmm. it is more action, more of what you liked about the first one, bigger, badder, crazier. That's sort of the example that's been set with this one. Yeah. And then we add a Joe Pesci. Yeah. And add a character. Why not? (laughs) I do notice that Joe Pesci doesn't make the cover on this one. Now, I agree with that, but maybe put him on the back. I don't even see him on the back of this VHS. I thought that was interesting because I thought Joe Pesci's name was bigger at this point, but this is pre 
Goodfellas and Casino, isn't it? And pre-Home Alone. Yeah, this is one year before Home Alone, one year before Goodfellas, five years before uh, Casino. So yeah, they, I mean, he's a, he's a name. I would say he's third build in the movie. He's a name. But yeah, maybe hasn't been propelled to kind of the Goodfellas like superstardom yet. Oh, I guarantee you, if this was a year after Home Alone, he's on the back at least. Oh, well, we know by the time it gets to three, he's on the cover of that one. <laughs> Which is going to be fun to watch because I've never seen. So, But let's concentrate on two. Richard Donner returns, but we have a different writer, correct? Yeah, we have a different writer. we got Jeffrey Baum. Um, but we do have a story by Shane Black. So Shane Black's touch is still involved in this one. Yeah, I noticed Warren Murphy did the story too. I wonder what the story is behind that. Yeah, and I wonder if just Shane Black was too busy or if he wasn't interested or if he did write a script and they didn't really like it. I'm, I'm curious kind of what happened after this because this is a, a, a little bit before Last Boy Scout, so not really sure. Yeah, I don't know either, but uh, he was definitely busy. He was doing all kinds of script punch-ups. You know, I, I would love to have an entire list of every script he ever worked on, even the ones that didn't like get his lines onto the, the film. He's done so many. Yeah, I think last time I checked Wikipedia, they had a few, but I, I guarantee you that's not all of them. No, nah, because they probably don't want the union to get involved. Yeah, I, I don't think the stuff like Tarantino and even James Gunn, Kevin Williamson, all these guys that were kind of hot writers. I don't think it's ever really going to come out all the things they worked on. No, not until like they're about dead and to retire and just like, fuck it. I don't care. Or they're, or they're going to save it for a book. Right. Yeah. I bet that's when we get most of them. Yeah, until then, we just won't know. But yeah, probably the guilds, they're still working. They're still trying to get jobs. They can't say all of them. Oh, good point. Yeah, that would affect their current money flow. So yeah, they won't do it until it's the memoirs. Yep. <laughs> all right, so we get into this. Now we're going to play the same game, but I'm not going to give you the movies that were coming out at the same time because I forgot to pull it up. Well, we know it's Batman and stuff like that. <laughs> Well, definitely Batman, yeah. The first one came out in March. This one came out in July. They're not messing around with this one, okay? We're not doing March where it's cold still in some parts of the country. You know, Chicago's still getting snow in March. No one wants to go outside. Same thing with New York. It's shit. This one, July. Everyone in the entire country can go out and see Lethal Weapon 2, the extremely hot sequel. A lot of pressure on these writers, these directors, these producers. I did notice that Joel Silver did come back for this one. I don't know. I don't know if he influenced the movie as much. But when you watch what's put on screen, I, I think he had to. A lot more booms in this one. Yeah, I mean, it is a lot of the same team. You've got the same editor and Stuart Baird. You've got, I think, the same DP with Stephen Goldblatt. We've got Eric Clapton still comes back with Michael Kamen to do the score. Shane Black does the story, at least, for it. Like, we got a lot of the same people back for this one. A lot. Same production company, Silver Pictures. Uh, so a lot of people connected to this one. Uh, so it does feel like a continuation uh, of the first one. I love it when sequels can do that. I, I don't like it when they change too much. Yeah. And I feel like this one, you like I did, I watched them back to back. No problems. I didn't notice any glaring differences in the characters from appearance to even how they act now this one they're definitely goofier 
Yeah, this one's definitely playing up the comedy more. It's as if they kind of got the note after the first one that people liked the funny parts of the first one. But like we mentioned in the first podcast, it's not that funny of a movie. It's got funny parts, but it's not like a comedy. This one is now we're starting to dance into action comedy territory. And yeah, I wonder if it's just like that was something audiences responded to. However, I agree with you. It doesn't feel weird. They just kind of turned it up a little bit, but it doesn't feel misplaced or misguided or anything like that. No, and now that we started talking about it, I think this was during Shane Black's drinking problem. Maybe that's why he didn't come back. Yeah, I think this is when he was struggling with substance abuse, and I think he wrote the story for this and someone else did the script. Like, he was he was burnt out at this point. The first script was bought in, like, what, 85, 86? And by 89, that's what Hollywood can do to you. You're already burnt out. Before he had his second, you know, his like his second wind. And I think he sobered up too. But I don't know if that's true. Uh, You know what? I don't know about that. But I think at one point he sobered up. I don't know if he still is. We talk about it too with Lethal Weapon. There is definitely a change in tone in his scripts from going from like Lethal Weapon to Last Boy Scout. Like there definitely is a vibe that changes. And then from Last Boy Scout, it kind of continues on. I think, yeah, the first Lethal Weapon is much darker I do feel like there is still the Shane Black touch in this, though. You kind of, you feel it. I think it's there. It's not so much in the dialogue because he didn't write the screenplay necessarily. But there is a vibe that's there that I feel like still has his stamp for sure. Yeah, this one definitely. Now, Shane Black's stamp on the characters definitely fades in three and four. I've never seen three, so but that's what I've heard from people. Four is a completely different series. You know, that's when like all the old guys are coming back for their last hurrah. Uh, That's what I remember. I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. Uh, I'm just saying like compared to the first, I remember the fours is not only the farthest in distance, it's the farthest in tone. Yeah. And I want to see too, I'm really curious as we go through this franchise, uh, because I, I, I've back to back one and two many times before in my teen years, Mm -hmm. but I've also weirdly, like this is a weird thing we have in common. I've also weirdly never seen three. And then four, I just saw kind of when it came out. So I never really put them kind of all in a line, but in my brain, it does seem like a natural evolution. And this, this is a perfect example of this. I would say, and this is just right off the top. I will, I'll say, I think this is a master class in how you do a sequel. I think, I mean, because 89, there was a lot of sequels. I think this is when Ghostbusters 2 came out. Yes, Back to the Future 2. I enjoy Back to the Future 2 a lot. Uh, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the first. That's just me. But I think 2 is the one I watched more as a kid. But definitely as an adult, I appreciate more, you know, one more. Now, Ghostbusters 1 and 2, huge fall off for me. I do find things to enjoy in number two, but comparing those two sequels to this sequel, this one is awesome. I am so surprised that they could have so much pressure on them. Shane Black breaks down from substance abuse problems and burning out and stuff like that, you know, writing the script. And then I think he somehow someone else got involved to do the script. He just did the draft or something like that. I don't know. I'm sure you could find it online. I'm just going off my thoughts. Of what I remember reading about it a while back. You know, I'm I'm just really impressed with this sequel. And I'm also really impressed that you got away with the goofiness and you got away with a really over-the-top villain gang that sometimes I don't even understand what they are. So I'm impressed. 
in a, in lesser hands, I feel like this villain plot would get pretty convoluted, but I don't feel that in this movie. It again, it has this breezy quality about it where everything is just so watchable and it's easy to follow, even though, yeah, like I said, in lesser hands, this would be so convoluted, but they just do it in a way that's just so matter of fact that like it's crazy and as weird as it gets with the uh, South African Germans. I'm in it. I'm in it. I buy it. I'm totally for it. And yeah, I I just think this one is a sequel that in my brain is as good as the original in different ways. I don't know if I can say it's as good as the original, but it's about as close as you can get for a sequel. I mean, it's not T2 where I think it surpasses the original. It's neck and neck. It's just that it's the natural progression. This is where a sequel to this movie should and needs to go. And it does it. It does exactly what you want a sequel to be, what a sequel needs to be, and what it needs to be to continue the franchise as well. Okay, let's get back to the game. I didn't forget, folks. So the first one made 120-something million. Can you guess what did the second one make worldwide box office? Um, my guess. Now, I'm going to give you, you can, you can get within 10 million. Well, uh, my guess here's my just my reasoning. My guess would be because we got a part three that it would be more. However, I'm thinking just because 1989, Batman's out, Back to the Future, all that stuff. I'm going to guess the exact same, 120. Incorrect. We have 227 million dollars. Well, shit, that's about double. <laughs> yeah, and they doubled the budget. It went from 15 million to 30 million. Now, I'm sure, you know, a lot of that was paying Mel Gibson's, you know, rising star. Um, I don't know how much more they paid than him, but doubling the budget and then doubling your box office. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Well played. Well done. Definitely why we got a part uh, three so quickly. (laughs) Yeah, because this one, uh, not only did the movie come out two years after the first one, but the story takes place two years after the first one. I thought that was interesting. But, uh, you know, we won't talk about the story much. We'll let you read it on the back of the box. But before that, when we're walking down the video store, what do we see in the front, Matt? So this one is taking, obviously, a riff off of the first one. Now we have an all-black cover, uh, but we still have the cutout in the center with our two guys. And it's Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Lethal Weapon 2. And the two is in red, and then it forms sort of the box around it. It's almost as if the two is making the box happen. And then we get Mel Gibson, this time with the gun. Uh, He's looking directly at the camera. So is Danny Glover. Danny Glover is kind of over his shoulder again. Definitely a play on the first one. Very simple. Not much to it. We get the credit block underneath. This time the closed captioning thing is with the credit block and not in the publicity still. Uh, I like that it's not a still from the movie. I like that it's a publicity still. You're just selling that it's these stars. We get a gun, so we know it's an action movie. The gun peeks out past the border. It's good. I think it works. It's simple and effective, and it's tied to the first one. Typically, floating heads are kind of boring, but I think this works for this series. I think this is actually the the worst part of the series is how boring these covers are in the first two. And I mean, that's like a tiny little critique. But I, you know, I get what they're doing. They're like letting the movie sell itself. I just really like painted covers. Don't we all? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I would prefer some big action landscape with blowing up uh, buildings and explosions. It's all painted and it looks amazing. But, uh, you know, if this is what we're going to get, I think it fits for the movie. 
Oh, I think you just had a great landscape right there with the, the like stilt building that they had. Oh, love it. Yeah, they could have definitely done some crazy painted shit with that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, flipping it over to the back. Good luck reading all this again. Yeah. Like the first one, the trailers are short. The descriptions are long. Yeah, this is an OG from 1989. So this one's got still the long description with the behind the scenes stuff, the reviews. We even have the little banner across the top again that says adult action from when Warner <laughs> Brothers used to, you know, genre the movies or whatever for you. Uh, and then we, we come down. There's one publicity still. It's Mel Gibson and Danny Glover with guns pointed at the kind of the ground. It looks like with a cop car behind them. Looks like there's kind of commotion and lights behind them. Selling again the movie on them and that it's an action movie. Here's our quote. Pure dynamite. Enough humor, excitement, and action for two movies. That's from our buddy Rex Reed at the movies. So you've got a pretty big time critic already given this good marks. And here is our description. The magic is back. Buddy cops, Riggs and Murtaugh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are off and running, trying to keep a key witness and themselves alive in Lethal Weapon 2. It's been two years since we last caught up with this battle-hardened pair. Murtaugh is still the family man. Riggs is still the reckless man without a family. But now he counts the odds before plunging into seemingly impossible situations. He cracks more jokes, too. I thought in this film I could take Riggs in a slightly different direction and maybe have some fun, Gibson says. Fun it is, and exciting, from its breathless opening chase through the streets of L.A. to its raging gun battle finale. In between, there's a six-story plummet from a window, a booby-trapped toilet, a Houdini-like underwater escape, and more power-packing thrills, including the incredible destruction of a chic hillside stilt house. It's a real house, right down to the 35-foot-deep foundation. Demolished spectacularly as nine cameras rolled, is what I talked about in the last episode. I hate miniatures, explains director Richard Donner, who also guided Lethal Weapon 1. Joe Pesci. Raging Bull, Easy Money, co-stars as the wielding witness guarded by the two cops. With Mel and Danny, Joe is the third stooge, Donner says. That makes three drop-dead funny guys, and one of them is lethal. Yeah, Richard Donner, I'm going to have to completely disagree with you about miniatures. You're insane. Sorry. (laughs) Well, when you got the budget to do it all practical and real, and I mean, yeah, I love miniatures as well, but I mean, would I rather take down an entire real house? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. But if you if you just watch Starship Troopers, miniatures are badass. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love anything practical. So I, I get what he's saying. But I also do love great miniature work as well. Anything where the art form is and creativity is shown, I like it. Yeah, it was fun taking down that. that that's ridiculous what they did. Uh, we'll talk about that in the movie notes here. But let's pop this tape in. But before we do, we want to remind you to go out there and rate and review us on iTunes or subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spread the Word, and you're going to get rewarded. Take a screenshot of... Rating us on iTunes, five stars. We love VHS reviews, whatever you want. Something real quick, doesn't matter. Or screenshot that you subscribe to us on YouTube, send it to analogjonestof at gmail.com or put it on our Facebook group page. And we are going to put you in a drawing to win some prizes at the end of August. That's August 2021, if you're listening to this way into the future. Uh, Anyway, yeah, it'll be worth it. Trust me. I'm throwing in some stuff. Matt's throwing in some stuff. It's going to be good. 
get out there, rate and review. Yeah, you're going to want these prizes. They're going to be really good. They're going to be really cool. And we benefit maximally from the reviews. We go up in the charts. People see us more if you do it. And that only helps us. So it takes two seconds. I know it's a pain in the ass, but do it. Do it, do it, do it. We will reward you. Yes, and I know a lot of you are listening to us on Spotify. I see the analytics. Thank you for listening to us on that format. If you don't have you know, an Apple phone or an Apple account and everything, use your wife's, use your friends. I don't care whose it is. Use multiple accounts. Throw them all in. It, it helps you. It, but most importantly, it helps this channel, which helps us keep doing this. If you like us, help us out. Yeah, if you make 47 Apple pages and give us 47 five-star ratings, that's 47 entries you have in the contest. So <laughs> think about it that way. That's a lot of work. I don't expect our listeners to do it, but you can. You can. And then you'll get stuff probably. <laughs> probably, definitely. <laughs> if you lost after doing 47 reviews, I'd just send you something. <laughs> yeah, I like, will send it. you something anyway. <laughs> okay, let's pop this tape in. Now available on video and DVD. Okay, we had one trailer. Actually, no, it was just a promo. Uh, Matt, what's the promo? We get the Warner Brothers buy a hat, Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, and Daffy Duck promo from the 80s. Let's see if you're really ready to watch this movie. Okay, popcorn? Check. Soft drink? Check. Warner Brothers ball cap? Aha! You can't watch a Warner Brothers movie without a Warner Brothers ball cap. Listen, Doc, what if they ordered a Warner Brothers ball cap so they had it next time? Well, uh, here's all you have to do, folks. Just send for this. Uh, a new Warner Brothers catalog. Use it to order your Warner Brothers ball cap. And while you're at it, you can order stuff like t-shirts, posters, movie books, ties. That's neckties. How wonderfully delicious is this? They want you to call a 900 number to order the catalog, which of course has Batman on the cover uh, of the Warner Brothers merch. I guess, catalog. Uh, you call the 900 number, get it, get the hat. Daffy really wants you to wear the hat. Check, make sure you've got your popcorn, your pop, and your hat to watch the movie. Yep, I think he says soda, because only you weirdos say pop. That's right, sorry, from Chicago. It's a habit. Well, I know, I love the battle between soda and pop. Uh, yeah, it's just been pop all my life, and all, all you weirdos all moved here and made me think otherwise about it. <laughs> well, you know, the ones that we stare at the most is the people who say soda pop. We're both like, what? No, no, no. <laughs> Make a choice. Do yeah. not sit the fence. Yeah, no middle ground here. Yeah. This is not the America I was growing up in post-internet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get on to the feature presentation. And now, our feature presentation. Okay, this start is different than the first, but it's definitely just get your heart racing. We're in a car chase. They're chasing down this, the actor from Aliens, uh, one of the guns, he carried the big guns in Aliens, mm -hmm. chasing him down. And then, okay, now I'm going to have to, I hope you can figure this all out for me. And listeners write in, they were speaking German, right? Yes, yeah, so they speak in German. But they are South African. So I'm I'm thinking this is a colonization thing, right? Like the German influence of them colonizing South Africa, right? Right? Like that's why they're speaking it? 
Okay, I I don't remember the whole you know like conflict that was going on because uh, this is a very timely movie. Uh, I give them that, you know, with the South African is it apartheid? Yeah, they're talking about apartheid pretty hard in this movie. It it is it's a background thing, but it's like very apparent almost. Like the first movie has a line about like police brutality in it and like, you know, hurting uh, black people, cops hurting black people. This one, this one has like sort of the apartheid thing. So they're always kind of the Lethal Weapon movies are always kind of engaging in the background, like racism, systemic things that are happening. And apartheid is very much a part of this because I think in 1989, it was on a lot of people's minds. I did not get into this much in my history class time period. Um yeah, I just skipped over this part of the history. I don't know why. So I was like, wait, Germans, South Africa. Now, I'm sure someone who knows a lot is just like, Jesus, Steve, did you not pay attention? <laughs> I don't remember even in high school and definitely not in college. I don't remember ever going through this. And I never researched it personally. I mean, we went to school in America. I mean, that's why if it's not an American history, we don't get it. You know. <laughs> Now, if we would have went to war with South Africa and won, I would have known about that. Right. They told us all about that, though, then. <laughs> and even if we lost, whitewash it. We won. Yeah, exactly. So that's probably why we are not sure. But uh, let me just say, South Africans have the best like accent, right? Like, it's so good. <laughs> I do love how Mel Gibson kind of makes fun of it at one time. It's like, I don't remember what he says, but he says something about this wacky ass lingo that he keeps hearing and i was confused because i was like wait a minute that's a german actor right he's german the main baddie i think so the guy from bill and ted yeah yeah i know that's funny because that's exactly i go ah hey look it's the bill and ted bad guy (laughs) (laughs) in this one as well yeah loved it love seeing that a lot of people in this movie uh, but yeah, I think I think a lot of these sort of and they keep making comments like Adolf and Wasp and things like the Anglos, you know, they keep making comments about like how they're kind of the blonde hair, blue eyed, white people. Uh, so I think it is, you know, maybe it is, a, like I said, a colonization thing, like the Germans trying to take over South Africa or whatever. But yeah, those are those are our characters that we get as our villains from the start. I can confirm he is not German. He is an English actor. Uh, whoops. <laughs> well, he does the accent really well. Yeah, he really does. Oh, man. I always thought he was German. I, I swear he's played like half of his roles of Germans. He's probably got it in his family. You know? Yeah. All those English people are all mixes of all those other countries over there. So, yeah, we'll just blend them all together. Whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a, a fun main baddie really cutthroat i mean honestly within like 20 minutes he kills one of his own men from this chase that gets away but since the uh Riggs and murtaugh actually find the gold that's in the trunk after it crashes and does a ridiculous amount of damage i mean this is not how you teach to chase someone down you're supposed to limit the damage Riggs and murtaugh on the other hand not only do they damage the city, I mean, Riggs just decides to destroy his wife's, uh, Murtaugh's wife's new car, Trish. Yeah, driving it along the rail and just making sparks and paint fly off the side. They blow up the windshield and stuff like that. The car is fucked. And yeah, they're, they're, running, they're running a chase across the highway where just like explosions are happening everywhere, including when the, when the baddie's car flips over and blows up. 
it does have one of the lines that I laughed out at. You know, he's just like smashes his car against the rail. He's like, you don't have enough room. Yeah, we got enough room. And then he smashes it all the way down. He finally lands it and he goes, um, yeah, you're we, right. didn't. we didn't have enough room. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be in the trailer, right? It's got to be. Yeah. There's so much good banter between the two of them that, again, it doesn't feel forced that it's a little funnier now because it's like these guys have been together for two years as partners. Now there would be a natural chemistry and a natural sort of way they talk to each other. The buddy thing, it's just it's it's funny and easy for audiences to sort of relate to and stuff like that. So, you know, their their sort of chemistry is what carries this thing mm-hmm. more into the comedy territory with lines and stuff like that. But it, again, like I said at the top, it works. Yeah, and we have Muscle for the bad guy. So we have a second henchman in this, uh, played by Derek O'Connor, who's playing Peter Von Schlitt. Uh, thank you. I did my best right there. <laughs> he's different than Gary Busey, definitely, but he's still very effective. Yeah, it is kind of the same mold. We have a big baddie with uh, the other guy, and then he's sort of the the guy underneath kind of taking care of shit on the ground. So it is kind of similar, but yeah, very different ways of doing things. He's very intelligent. He's not just a meathead going around bashing people. And neither was Gary Busey's character. I think that's what makes these bad guys, henchmen, whatever you want to call them, so good. Uh, Like the part that defines him to me is when he walks in to whatever the main bad guy's name is. Um, and he's looking around. And he goes, what are you doing? And he goes, uh, looking to see if there's plastic underneath my feet. <laughs> yeah, because he knows that the other guy just got off that way. So, yeah, it's, it's a good character moment. I know. I love it. So this whole thing is uh, these South Africans come and they are protected by what is it, Matt? Uh, diplomatic immunity, which is said many, 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 many times throughout the movie. It's kind of a callback joke and it works to build a two a great 80s action good guy line at the end of the movie. It's actually diplomatic immunity. <laughs> Bill and Ted guy's voice, you know, his kind of deep <laughs> diplomatic immunity. <laughs> Through this whole thing, I was like, I don't think that's how that works. You can't blatantly just break the laws and be like, I'm from another country. Sorry. <laughs> These guys have figured out a way to do it. (laughs) But it's fun for a script. I get it. Uh, We also get a love interest and we get to dive a little deeper into Martin Riggs character. Uh, So the love interest is played by Patsy Kinsett. She looks familiar, but I don't know if I've ever seen her in another movie. Yeah, I agree. I think she does look familiar, but I'm not sure if I've seen her in anything else or not. Because I just remember her from this movie. so <laughs> She's got a nice combination of cute and sexy. Yeah, and the accent, which takes it over the edge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, calm down. I'm only one man. <laughs> Can only take so much. And on the flip side of that, we also get the addition of Joe Pesci. <laughs> uh, Leo Gets. Yes, Leo gets things done. Or Leo gets it if you need it. Um, yes, he's right off the bat. Just got to say. Joe Pesci, in a minute and a half, helped me understand what money laundering is better than anyone else ever explaining it to me over the last 30 years that I've been alive. <laughs> You're a drug dealer. I work in a bank, okay? okay? Now, you have money that you have to have laundered. What do you do? I bring it to you. Uh-uh. He does. Me? I, I don't understand. Uh, why me? Who am I? Okay. Okay. Right, okay. okay. I'll tell you. You're a courier. 
You work for him. I'm the drug dealer. Right. Don't you have plates? Here, come on, what is this? Come on, guys. Okay, I deposit the cash into the account of a dummy finance company. Now, then I issue you a cashier's check in his name, minus a small commission for myself. Mm. Yeah, the sprinkles in the other hand. Like Brady? Uh, how much? 2% standard. Nah. Not bad, Leo. <laughs> Pretty prosperous, huh? Okay, I like it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, you give it back to me as collateral on a loan that I make to you. But you don't pay back the loan. You keep the money. Yeah, how's that work? How's what? That's it. Don't you get it? It's your money. You don't pay it back. It's yours. Yeah. And it's yeah. cleaned. It is now laundered. Man, if you had to play a drinking game of when they say diplomatic immunity and when Leo goes, okay, 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 <laughs> okay you'd be okay, destroyed. Okay. <laughs> you couldn't make it halfway during this film. Halfway through this film, you'd be dead. In any other movie with any other actor, that would be so annoying, but it's so fucking charming and works so well here in this movie. I, I personally, I love this character. I, I don't think we needed him for the rest of the series. It was kind of nice to just have him here. And I know he continues as we go on, but like for just this singular movie, I just think he's so, he's a great addition to the team here. I mean, if you just would have had him for the rest of the series, just as, you know, occasionally coming in as a third wheel and everything fine, because he's so much different than Riggs and Murtaugh. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't remember. I haven't watched the fourth one in a long, long time and never with the third one. We're going to see if he gets annoying. Does he get stale? Well, he doesn't in this movie, though, which I think no, is great. No. I think he's just a, such a fantastic ad. And the fact that another sort of like Christmas was a background thing we dealt with in the first one. We had not really have like the Three Stooges has now really been played up and is now a kind of a background thing for this movie. And like the back of the box mentions, Joe Pesci's sort of the third stooge now added to the clan. Yeah, there is a couple other things in this movie that like grows in this franchise. Uh, one, we have Murtaugh getting construction on his house. Yes, it's that is back again uh, after his house has been destroyed in the first one. Now he's adding an addition uh, to the top of the house. <laughs> and, and the whole point of that construction worker, which that character actor has been in a ton. He's he does a fantastic Everything. job. Yeah. yeah. Steve Kahan, Calhan, whatever. Uh, look it up. Google. Um, he's yeah, he's in everything. Um, no, wait, that's not him. That's the captain. Shit. We didn't even talk about it in the first movie, but I love that the captain looks exactly like Richard Donner at the time. <laughs> that's because they have relation. They're like cousins. Yeah, they look exactly alike. And I just think it's so funny that he cast him as the captain in the in this franchise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a reflection of him trying to control them as the director. I guarantee right. you. <laughs> It's such a kind of weird, funny meta thing that's in the series. <laughs> oh, I can't remember the character name who plays a construction worker, but he has a great line. I don't think we mentioned the daughter in the first review, but the, the daughter's back here. She's in a commercial. Uh, Tracy Wolf, I think it uh, the actress's name is. And she's in a, <laughs> a condom commercial. Uh, but what's great about this is it really shows what Murtaugh is worried about because he's so conservative. He's just like, oh, my God, cops are never going to stop. I'm going to have rubbers everywhere. Rubbers and, constantly. And of course he does. They yeah. Give him a bouquet of them. <laughs> but that construction worker comes in and goes, oh, I thought the commercial was great. Makes me want to go buy rubbers now. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joe Pesci does the same line. 
And yeah. it should be dumb, but it's it just builds. It gets funnier. <laughs> it's really well done. Yeah, it's well done in this movie. It's very funny. Oh, I love it. And, and I love like how his wife and him get tied up by these South Africans. And they're like freaked out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, this is the kind of thing your wife would be like, you got to retire. This is intense. Our, our daughter's been kidnapped two years ago and now we're getting tied up in our bed yeah we're getting our mouths duct taped yeah <laughs> but then like five minutes later in the script when the captain's taking them off the case and they're like this is how they meet joe pesci's character by the way is they're like listen just go watch a witness make sure he doesn't get hurt and Myrtle literally goes no, I can't do this. And he goes, well, I'm taking you off the case because, you know, people just broke into your house and duct taped your you and your wife. And he goes, I can take that, but I can't take this. And I'm like, <laughs> he just skips right over that traumatic experience. And that's how goofy <laughs> this movie is. At the same time that Riggs is smoking in his captain's office, throws him. And he goes, hey, what's that sign saying? He goes, no smoking. And he goes, but I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and then throws the sign back to him. And I'm like, holy shits. It's growing and developing with these characters. Again, why I think this is such a masterclass in a sequel. Because, yeah, it's like, this is what it would be like two years later with these guys. It's how they would talk to each other. It's how they would talk to their captain. And, yeah, Danny Glover went from kind of not being into the stuff on the street. And then now he's almost kind of addicted to it like Riggs is. (laughs) And then, of course, we get a Dean Norris appearance. Yeah, of course, he's one of the cops. Just a young, hair-having sort of Dean Norris. Yeah. He's losing it. There's definitely, yeah, he's starting. (laughs) He's going from late twenties to mid forties real quick. And we also get, uh, Jeanette Goldstein is also one of the cops too. So two aliens, people making an appearance in this one, uh, probably just because of the time period. All these actors were in everything (laughs) this time. Well, I think they were talented, but they just weren't good enough to get like the lead yet. You know, um, Dean Norris obviously would change with that. Uh, I don't know if Jeanette Goldstein ever got like a, a real good meaty role. Near Dark probably would be the best one. She yeah, had, good point. Say. Good point. Kind of a Near co-lead dark, yeah. with Lance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just feel like they got a lot of work because they were easy to work with and they're team players. And probably located in Hollywood because this is a very like L.A. kind of series. Yeah. Good point. They're bringing in drugs, right? Oh, no, no, no. They're, they're just doing the money laundering. So they're yes, like, this got, is just money laundering. Yeah, yeah, so they got a shit ton of money. Cops get knocked off, which I was surprised about this. Now, in the first movie, I was surprised when the girl committed suicide at the beginning. I was surprised that they killed all the cops. And man, they go after the cops. But the one uh, guy who was Jeanette hanging... Goldstein blowing up on a diving board. How great was that? <laughs> yeah, that stunt woman. Holy shit. <laughs> that flip. Oh, man, it was good. That was a good explosion. <laughs> Flipping all the way in the air and then smashing into the water like that. Ow, that was good no work. dummy. And that was fire behind. <laughs> that wasn't Oof. CGI. That was fire. That is real shit, folks. That's why it sticks with you. It's real. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but they go through and they kill all these um, cops. And the only reason that um, Murtaugh wasn't killed is because he was with Leo Getz. So Mm -hmm. Leo got him out of trouble. Yep, Leo gets you out of trouble. (laughs) Until Leo gets himself into trouble and gets kidnapped. Yeah, which is leads to like we mentioned uh, when the house gets taken down and (laughs) things like that. Yeah, I do like that Joe Pesci's character takes a beating. 
like still is an asshole still is like sitting there being you know wisecracking doing all this shit yeah again still not annoying you know just makes sense for the character for the the situation he's in or whatever he's not just like whining or whatever um and yeah he's allowed to kind of be the way he is because like you said he gets the shit kicked out of him in this movie he's covered in cuts and blood uh by Mm -hmm. the end of it oh i gotta point this out this scene's pretty funny this has got to be ad-libbed when the they're in the south african consulate and this is when um Riggs sneaks in and blows up the fish tank shoots out the fish tank uh but when leo gets is talking to the south african guy he's like i got a friend that wants to go to south africa he's oh that's great bring him in and he goes but you're black <laughs> and then the way Leo Getz says it in the back of the car when he's talking to them over and over again should be annoying, but it was hilarious coming out of Joe Pesci's mouth. But jump back. <laughs> and they're all cracking up and laughing about it. It feels like hanging out with friends. Yeah. How could you? What's it's so charming and likable. Yeah. They're all cracking up together about it while Joe Pesci's doing the guy's voice. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, like a combination of like english new zealander it's so weird like their south african accent absolutely unique but god it is it's so nice to the ears for some reason for me i just (laughs) i love the accent i love it oh and this is the the movie that has now loaded weapon one i think made fun of this the best like when his uh, trailer on the beach gets just blowed up yep but luckily his dog gets away because that's a big concern for everyone yeah sam uh yeah that then his little dog uh house he has in the floor it's so cute uh yeah well they're hooking up and then the uh helicopter lights up the place yeah and then i mean they end up capturing the rita what was her name anyway she gets uh she gets killed they drown her that's pretty dramatic Pretty surprising. I thought yeah. she made it out of this movie, honestly. I haven't seen this a few times, but not for a long time. Uh, I thought that she made it out of it. Well, it really, really pisses off Riggs because it's the first woman that he's you know, probably had a connection with since his wife. And speaking of his wife, we forgot to mention that Pita, the muscle, the top henchman in this, is actually the guy who killed Riggs' wife, attempting to kill him four years, five years ago or whatever. So that's building on top of it. Now that feels a little convenient for the script, but whatever. It's cool. And I mean, it it just adds drama. Yeah, Yeah. sure. It's an easy way to do it, but it does add, it adds a layer of of the necessity to kind of kill this guy. I was uh, going to offer you a drink, Riggs, but I understand you're on the wagon these days. Yeah, that stuff will kill you quick. Look, you know so much about me. Who the hell are you? I'm the guy that changed the course of your life, man. Four years ago, Riggs, when you was a knock down at Long Beach, you were getting too close to us, so we put a contract out on you. I handled it myself. Drove your car right off the fucking road, remember? Of course, you weren't driving, were you? You can't imagine the surprise. I pulled back this matted mop of blood-soaked hair to see this woman's face. Your wife, right? She didn't die straight away. Took a bit of time. Yeah, and this uh, script also has some pretty good payoffs. Like, 
at one point when Riggs is trying to get out of the straitjacket and he dislocates his shoulder uh, and then gets out of the straitjacket. And then to get out of whatever they put him in to drown next to the you know his love interest, he pops his shoulder out, gets out and kills the two guys. And this is he gets very violent. And the end of this film is really over the top 80s. Well, and with the house coming down, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, that's then, insane. Yeah, yeah it's, it is. A, it's a grand finale. Uh, the finale of this one, I, I told Steve, kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Iron Man 3, which has Shane Black, obviously, involved in, uh, with the docks and people are being killed by the falling crates or whatever they're called, where they have the storage. Um, so, so it reminded me, I mean, I know tons of movies do it, but it just felt like it was of that same kind of vein. Yeah, I was impressed that Riggs got shot up a bunch of times. Uh, but the the best part in this is when, you know, Murtaugh cracks his, his neck. Yeah, because he goes, he flashes the card again and goes, diplomatic immunity. And he, he just goes, boom, has been revoked. Yep. <laughs> there you go. You got it. Yeah, very 80s. You know, you get the te- you know, you get the cheesy line in there. Love it. Great. Yeah. Give it to me all the time. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. And I love that like the movie doesn't overly try to convince you that Mel Gibson's going to die because pretty quickly he's like, I'm fine. I'm bleeding. I need a hospital. <laughs> I'm fine. This movie doesn't try to like tear jerk you at the end or anything. I don't think they know. The first one ended with the the dinner, right? Where he's just like, yes. I think I'm going to eat this horrible meal by myself. Uh, the only mean thing that Murtaugh really consistently says is how bad his wife's cooking is. Yep. <laughs> it is a recurring thing in both of these movies. Yep. But at the end of this one, this is the one where I think Mel Gibson is starting to swear off smoking, though, because he says those things will kill you as he's like covered in blood and shot up at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that because this is in 89. So I wonder if that was their choice or if they're getting pressure I don't know. I, I feel like people didn't start doing that until like the mid 90s, like with their characters in movies. Even then, it still wasn't. I mean, really, it didn't happen until like the 2000s but yeah. that like smoking got eliminated from movies or whatever. But this is kind of the yeah, like you said, the beginning of that. Well, and some directors absolutely refuse. James Cameron and uh, Quentin Tarantino. They're like, no, I'll do whatever I want. And you know what? Good for them. It's a story. Whatever works with the story. I don't think smoking should be censored in movies. I think that's absolutely fucking stupid. And I <laughs> I am not a smoker. I don't want to smoke cigarettes. I don't like them. But in, in movies, why are we censoring smoking? We've got bigger fish to fry here. <laughs> well, if you want people to force smoking into their script, you know, try to tell a creative person they can't use it. It's immediately going to be like, OK, I'm putting that in. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you doing? Just let it naturally go away. The censorship police, the MPAA, those dirty bastards. Ruining our Jason movies. Yep. It took away our took away gore from the 90s, basically. (laughs) Jerks. Uh, Okay, so this is kind of obvious, but do we recommend this film? Wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. If you see this, pick it up. Also, the VHS looks pretty good for this one. It's a lot cleaner than the last one technology had advanced over the last two years obviously uh the yeah i recommend this one wholly i said at the beginning i'll say it again it's a master class in how you do a sequel yeah warner brothers got their shit together and gave us a good vhs yeah it looks crispy it looks good 
Yeah, definitely recommend it. Uh, there's nothing really bad in this film. Uh, I did notice that Riggs and Murtaugh are really mean to Joe Pesci's character at the beginning. But then again, he's a criminal, whatever. Uh, it is funny. It was. I did like the Three Stooges kind of riffed with those three. And shockingly, he didn't get annoying. I fully recommend this. Uh, I think this is one of the better action sequels of the 80s and 90s. Yep, I agree. 100%. I think it stacks up with the original. It may not be classically as good as the original but just as watchable as the original all right let's play a commercial for our geekscape blood drive hi geekscapists the geekscape podfather jonathan here in may we lost one of our own longtime geekscapist christopher ellis who was a friend and a part of our geek community from the very beginning chris even met his wife sarah through our podcast and their 2015 wedding seemed like a giant geekscape party Chris's final weeks battling in the hospital shed light on a huge national problem. The COVID pandemic has almost completely depleted our national and local blood banks. These supplies are used by thousands of hospitals to provide life-saving treatments to patients or to buy enough time for loved ones just to say goodbye. So for the next month and beyond, we're going to do it big in Chris's memory and do some good in the process. We're throwing a blood drive. Visit www.aabb.org to find a donation center near you or visit other blood and platelet donation centers like the Red Cross. And let's make things interesting. For the next month, take a selfie of yourself donating with the hashtag GeekscapeGives and tag your favorite Geekscape podcast. We'll pick some charitable Geekscapists to send prizes to, and the podcast that gets mentioned the most will also get some cool rewards. I should actually cancel the podcast that gets mentioned the least. Can I do that? Whatever. The point is, go out there and donate some blood, tag a selfie of yourself doing it with the hashtag GeekscapeGives, and get others to do the same. We couldn't save our friend Chris, but we can do a whole lot of good in his name. Geekscape forever! There you go. So, you know, mark that it's Geekscape forever. Hashtag Analog Jones. And uh, make sure to take a selfie or, you know, whatever it is showing that you're giving blood and put it up. And uh, you will win some prizes from Geekscape. Nice. Everybody loves prizes, right? And you're helping it out. You're doing a good thing. Do it. Right on. Okay, let's move on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out in the film jungle like Indy and bring something back. Our Lethal Weapon Wing, the second one, the first one I, I put in a mullet, and you put in... What'd you put in? The opening scene. The opening scene. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I don't know what you got. I'm going to make you go first. There's, I mean, the obvious piece that I think is pretty incredible is when Martin Riggs takes a pickup truck and pulls down a house off a hillside it's pretty incredible stuff it looks amazing when that house blows up it's just like it's like a little kid playing with blocks and smashing a house down it's really fucking satisfying so there's a lot of good stuff and i just think that's a good example of all kind of the good action set pieces that are in this movie yeah good stunt work good action set pieces and you know mine's kind of actually a scene or a set piece too is and maybe Loaded Weapon actually is the one that makes me think of this more when Mel Gibson pops out of it after it explodes. But I love it when his trailer gets just annihilated by the bad guys. 
All he has is a truck now to live in. What is he going to do? And he probably busted up the axle of that truck knocking down that building. So, oh, he's screwed. Yeah, he's got nowhere to go. He even his girlfriend who was going to let him stay there uh, is no longer with us. So, (laughs) yeah, that place gets wrecked. And again, it's like that same thing of like kids playing with blocks and knocking the house down. Just satisfying to watch for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. This is a really good film. Sadly, now we have to go on to a film that not so good maybe in uh, our humble opinion we watched space jam a new legacy (laughs) now i know this is meant for you know younger crowd but i don't know what young kid wants to watch matrix references holy shit lazy reference not even good smart clever references just like here's some footage from that movie yeah it's uh I mean, 30 minutes into this two-hour movie, there's no Looney Tunes still. Mistake number one. And we're talking about this because of that commercial at the beginning of this tape, by the way. Um, but it made true. us kind of go down this path. But yeah, no Looney Tunes for the first 30 minutes. Lazy, lazy references to shit that kids don't care about anymore. Yet it's done in this TikTok-y sort of ADHD. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like it's they're doing it sort of pandering to little kids but it's old people doing it you know so it doesn't work (laughs) well i just was amazed that they're doing an hbo max commercial basically to kids hey look at all the stuff we got kids don't forget and the parents also see it and be like oh okay i can sit my kid in front of the tv and you've got you know all the dc characters and all these older movies you know i get the other DC characters and stuff like that, but some of the older movie references, clearly you're playing to like the adults who have had children and remember these movies. Even the Harry Potter references are getting old. And I know that's super popular, so I understand it, but I don't know. And you know what? Even past all the cheesy uh, appearances, that's fine if you can blend it into the movie well but you're right the looney tunes take forever to get into this and when they are put into this they are rushed it's just like okay we got this one this one this one okay let's go the granny's in the matrix scene cool whatever we've got like sylvester and mad max which is another like rated r film and i know kids watch everything nowadays because of the internet but it just felt odd and then on top of all of this the over arching tone of this movie is is shitty and mean like where you're just a dick to your kid yeah yeah i mean and also lebron james cannot carry a movie don Cheadle's trying to save this thing because he's kind of having some fun but like the script is so awful and the character is so awful also you go from like the villains in space jam one like the monsters to just like a guy stuck in a computer that wears just like a jacket, you know, <laughs> like it's so lame and boring. <laughs> there was no buildup of the enemies being bad. It's just like, oh, right before the game, they introduce the villains. Like you have no chance to learn to hate them. Yeah, it just it doesn't it, nothing. Nothing tracks here. Nothing adds up. It feels like there was, you know, 50 script writers on this thing. The whole villain of the movie is an algorithm. And I really think the algorithm that Warner Brothers plugged in is what's working against them here. And also, like, too, Warner Brothers has always been sort of the best at the meta stuff and the references from all the way from Looney Tunes up to, like, the Lego movies. Like, they are the best at putting all the characters in there 
thing together, you know, humorously or whatever. Animaniacs comes to mind too. Like all of those Warner Brothers is the best at this. And they just drop the ball entirely here. Yeah, this is really bad. I think this is going to be up for one of the worst films of the year. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, is it just that it's not for us or is it just that it's bad? I don't know, but it really very much is not for me. (laughs) So there was a guy at work and we were talking about it and I asked him, I was like, oh yeah, did your kids watch it? And he goes, yeah, they turned it off. They didn't like it. And I'm like, that pretty much says, I know it's just, you know, a couple kids out of the entire world of kids and I'm sure there's kids out there who enjoyed it, but I don't know. I feel like this is not doing well. Yeah, it's like I I read the things that are like it had a big opening box office weekend, but then it fell 65% by the next weekend. Is HBO Max streaming to blame for the movie's downfall? And I'm like, no, you made a shitty movie. And word of mouth is that the movie's shitty. Nobody wants to see it. Everybody who wanted to see it saw it opening weekend. It ain't going to do much better. Streaming ain't killing this movie. This script is killing this movie. (laughs) And I can guarantee you, making a villain that is an algorithm as your main baddie is not going to work. And on top of that, introducing the characters that we really care about, the Monstars in a way, the team that they are playing, you give five minutes of build up and say go. You spent so much time with Don Cheadle and I understand he's the actor that's carrying this movie. But I doubt kids are like, I hate you, algorithm. They don't give a shit. They just want to watch the game. They're like, where are the colors? Where is the where's the epic stuff? Where are the set pieces? None to be found. It's hard to believe I'm going to say this, but the first space, space Jam is far superior. And not many people say that about Space Jam until now where all the kids are, you know, like, oh, I loved it as a kid. But honestly, Space Jam was always trash. And I, I think the last time I checked... Because I thought I was very curious. Like the first Space Jam got like a you know like a forty percent from critics and higher from fans. I think this one is getting down in the twenties from both. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. we did Space Jam and we loved it. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't care that Michael Jordan can't really act. He was fun and likable. Yeah, he's a personality. LeBron James, I just don't care about. Yeah, Jordan has this uh, likability instantly when you mm-hmm. see him. Whereas LeBron seems just like a cocky asshole. Yeah, fair enough. All right, that'll end it this week. Until next week when we take a look at the Lethal Weapon movie, Lethal Weapon 3, that neither of us has seen. That should be fun to unpack all that. (sighs) What's your level of excitement to finally watch Lethal Weapon 3? Pretty high, because I'm coming off of these two, which I I really liked both of again. And I've seen two a lot less than I've seen one. And I still really like both of them back to back. So I'm excited to just keep going. And I remember, but and I'm the same as you two for four. I haven't seen that probably since I was a teenager, but I also remember really liking four as well. So I'm excited to kind of fill in that gap and then also see, you know, 15 years later, how I feel about four. So I'm excited to plow through the rest of this series. Yeah, so am I. So remember to be kind. Everyone.